Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, that's like, listen up, listen up. I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The word of the Lord. O oh God, open our hearts and open our ears so that we may hear your voice through this, through this powerful word in Christ's name from Jesus. Amen. If you're one of those churches that follows the common lectionary, like St. Simon's Presbyterian, as do many other lectionary or uh, churches with a stronger sense of liturgy, Catholic churches, Episcopal, Lutheran, Methodist, for instance, then you will know that today is Good Shepherd Sunday. And it's based on this morning's passage, both from Ezekiel and John, which John, through Jesus, plays off on, that define what a good shepherd looks like versus what a bad shepherd looks like. <laughs> you knew that was coming. And Ezekiel and Jesus don't have any qualms about mixing metaphors, bringing in these metaphors like different Lego parts that don't really match but work well enough to build the car. But before I get into it, I have a disclaimer. And in trying to be politically correct, as far as metaphors go, I have to share that I'm not really big on this whole sheep thing. Okay, with shepherd, sheep, uh, there's just something absolutely un-American about it. Something un-cowboy-like. 
Have you ever seen a John Wayne movie where he plays a sheep boy? If John Dutton's ranch in the hit Yellowstone was a sheep ranch, Kevin Costner would have only had one season. <laughs> sheep just don't seem to provide the gravitas that cattle do. And lambs, even less. There's just something about being a sheep that makes me itchy. I think it's just too sentimental. Mamby-pamby. Every week, Donna, our administrative assistant, looks at what the text is and the sermon title and goes online to find a picture for the front of the bulletin that matches it. She runs it by me. 99% of the time, I say it's perfect. When she ran this one by me, I didn't say anything. Ah, well, you know, okay, let's go with it. And the reason I chose to go with it is because I dislike it so much. And I wanted to make the point. There's this like perfect little Gentile Jesus leaning into this perfect little lamb and it just feels too cozy to me. Okay, Jesus does have his holes from the cross. But I don't know. I, I don't mean to, you know, to diss Catherine Brown. I'm sure it comes from a good place. But for me, it just feels a little too precious. So, sheep are not really great to work with. Turns out that God uses the metaphor of shepherds and sheep for a good reason, as a concept. And a quick run through the Bible shows us that almost every leader in the Torah in the Old Testament part started out as a shepherd. You have Abel who was a shepherd and Cain who was a farmer. It didn't end up too well for Abel. Since God chose to eat of shepherds sheep offering and not the roasted vegetables that Cain offered, Cain decided to offer up his brother Abel to his new gods of jealousy, envy, and anger. But after that, all, all the major men in the story, at least, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's sons and Moses and King David are all shepherds. And Jesus, the shepherd king, the Messiah, shepherd king. And in the Psalms, it's full of shepherd language. And the prophets, it's full of shepherd language. And the New Testament, Jesus enters into the story with Luke, where the shepherds are out keeping watch by night, and they look up, and there's all these angels singing glory to God in the highest. And he calls those shepherds to go to, go to the creche in Bethlehem, the city of David, King David, shepherd, King Messiah, David, and see this new child that was born. Shepherds play an amazingly powerful place in the Bible. But sheep, mm. like it or not, however, the preacher has to work with the text. And in this text, as I read it, Jesus 
and Ezekiel are not happy about how the shepherds are treating the flock of sheep. Woe to you shepherds, Ezekiel screams. Woe. All you're thinking about is yourselves. Aren't you called to take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the choice animals, but you do not care for the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were all scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. As we heard, God will go on to say, I don't need you. If you're like that, I don't need you. From now on, I will be their shepherd and they will be my sheep. Jesus goes with the same metaphor in this John text. But he also says that, you know, unless the sheep go through the front gate, the bad shepherds are going to sneak around back and steal and break in. And, and he says that the good shepherds are good gatekeepers and, and they use their voice to call the sheep by name and, and, and their voice is a loving voice that's recognized versus the trusting or non-trusting voice that seems to be talking to them all the time, telling them what they have to do. And all this says that if you're a good shepherd, you care for the sheep. And if you're a bad shepherd, you use the sheep to care for yourself. Bad shepherds may even impersonate good shepherds by sounding trustful and sincere. It may come across even on an email, an email to the flock of all you good sheep and shepherd folk an email urgently requesting that you go and buy a debit card to help someone in need in the name of your pastor, me. And you, the flock, wanting to cooperate and help out like little good congregants. So helpful and I'm so deeply appreciative. Didn't know what to do and you got angry antsy and nervous and agitated and I got about 5,000 phone calls and texts back from you saying what gives what do you need what can I do and so Ada sent out an emergency alert not once but twice hopefully you got it if you didn't I apologize it wasn't me it wasn't if I need something from you I will ask you directly The truth, however, about all this shepherd sheep stuff is that I just don't like Good Shepherd Sunday because Ezekiel puts the bar so high on what it means to be called a shepherd that any pastor worth his or her salt flinches. Shepherd pastors, pastors from pasture, shepherd pastors are called to serve the flock not for their own benefit, but for the flock's sake. Servant pastors, servant leaders never impersonate someone they're not. They own up to their shortcomings. They share their vulnerabilities. 
Shepherd pastors try to maintain integrity and to be fully integrated in their own faith life, their own, their own family life, their, their full life, as hard as it is. And, and they don't threaten the flock with hellfire and damning brimstone sermons to get you to do something and act. They just, good shepherd preachers don't do that at least in my opinion. Instead, what good shepherds do is build trust. Through their voice and their touch and their presence, they build trust. And and the good shepherds are willing to go out and search for lost folk, sheep who might get tangled up in the briars of life, And then when they find them, they are willing to walk with them back home if they are willing to go back home with the shepherd. And Jesus says, and this is what's impossible, because I don't don't think I would do this. Jesus says the good shepherd gives his life up for the sheep. Pastors give an enormous amount of time and love and prayer and life And I guess there are a few pastors who might step in front of somebody to give their life up, but I don't see myself doing it. I just don't. For integrity's sake, I have to share that. Here's the best thing about being a shepherd, by the way, especially a shepherd who happens to be a Presbyterian. And that is our common confession that every single one of us, every one of us is in this thing together on the same level. There is no hierarchical form of power in the Presbyterian church. We all are called on the same level. We're all prone to get lost. We're all evenly hard-headed. We're all blind to our own stuff, which means sometimes the flock gets lost just as much as the shepherds, and the shepherd gets lost just as much as the flock, which means from whatever case may be, the the congregation learns to shepherd each other. We're all on the same level. And when you experience this common shepherding among ourselves, It's an enormous power. When my first wife died tragically in a car accident in 2001, I was left with a 14-year-old teenager and a 16-year-old teenager. I had not really shepherded them well when when their mom was alive. I worked probably more than I should have. I let Nancy do all of the shepherding and the disciplining. So when she was no longer there, I all of a sudden had to shepherd a congregation and shepherd these two girls at the same time. I had no idea what to do. And the next thing I know, this congregation of shepherds steps in and fills our freezer for almost a year, even though it took a 45-minute drive to get there, a year of food. They stepped in and shepherded the two girls taking them under their wings, being for them a friend, being for them a confidant. 
It was an enormous experience of what it means to shepherd each other in a church. And what I love about being Presbyterian is that as Presbyterians, we are called to do just this. We don't have to answer to a higher authority. Everything God is doing in these texts is to say, you don't need a shepherd priest to connect to me. If the incarnation of Jesus is about anything, it is just that. God becomes flesh in Jesus Christ on our level, in our way, embodied, incarnate, to prove to us that we do not need anyone to stand between us in order to receive God's love. Do you hear absolutely amazing that is? And as Presbyterians, we live that way. We try to live that way, certainly, but that's the standard that we're called to live. Somebody once asked me why I became a Presbyterian instead of an Episcopalian or a Methodist or a Lutheran. And I sort of laughingly quipped, well, probably because I know myself well enough that I would have been arrested for killing the bishop if I had. I don't do well with imposed authority figures. At heart, I'm a contrarian. At heart, I'm a Presbyterian. The Reformation tells us this too, right? The Reformation, which then makes the text, the Bible, accessible to everyone so you don't have to go to the priest to confess or go to the priest to be absolved or go to the priest to receive anything. You gather together. And we do it too. It used to do it at least when we serve communion. I still like the way we do it with intention when we step forward. But when we serve communion, you're shepherding each other as you pass the bread and pass the wine. No hierarchy. You don't need the priest. What this means is that God loves us so much and God has created us who we are in God's image. In the image of God, good, very good. And in us, God sees in us the strength and the power and the ability and the agency and the individuality to live up to God's charge of us to care for each other. And that we don't need to to stoop to any care from a bad shepherd. We see films of what seems like a million people standing in lockstep in 1938 in, in Berlin of all of the youth and the soldiers that Hitler had commanded to, to listen to him because he was the good shepherd and all of those millions in lockstep gave into it, forgetting, forgetting that tyranny is the quickest way there is to give us a false sense of identity. As a Presbyterian, we say, God alone is Lord of conscience. And nobody can take that away. Our founding fathers understood this, believe it or not. Now, I know I'm giving way too much credit for Presbyterians, but hang in there. Our founding fathers understood the power of this, which is why they worded the Declaration the way they did. 
hammered out the Constitution and put together the conflicting powers. They did not trust authority and power in government, and for good reason. The Scots and the Scotch-Irish had been hammered for 2,000 years by the Romans, by the British monarchy, by Spain, by France, by the Anglicans, by the Catholics, and even by themselves on each other. Hammered. They did not trust power. Amazing book by Jim Webb, who was uh, an Annapolis graduate, twice wounded in Vietnam, got a law degree from Georgetown, U.S. Congress um, in Virginia, Assistant Secretary of Defense called Born Fighting. And in it he says, you take a Scots-Irish and you threaten him, you better be careful. It's in our DNA. We have fought tooth and nail not to be overpowered by the authorities and the power mongers who claim to know what's best for us. Ever since we have been fighting, and it is just that spirit of fight that made this country great, Webb says, we are by far mostly built upon the foundation of the Scotch-Irish Presbyterians when this country was built. He says that, and a case can be made, although I'm not willing to make it, it can be made. They were hammered by the New England Protestant Puritans. They were hammered by the English monarchy Anglicans, the aristocracy. They were, they were hammered by everybody, even when they came here, but they did not quit. They will not be pushed. Their only authority is God. That's what it means to be a Presbyterian and why I am one. And while we may all gather together and sing handles, all we like sheep have all gone astray, mostly deep down in our heart of hearts, we don't really want to admit that we're like sheep. We're more just the shepherds of our own lives. We'll take that. We'll shepherd our own lives and maybe each other. But I am not a sheep. Sheep get slaughtered. I know I'm biased. I know I'm biased. And I should probably just stop there. Let's just go home with a smile on our faces and bring out the bagpipes and march out to Scotland the Brave, feeling all good and powerful and righteous. But I'm Presbyterian enough to know as soon as I start sounding and feeling that way, I'm about to get thrown back on my rear end. All high and mighty self-righteous preacher talking about how good Presbyterians are. There's this irony about it, you see. The stronger we think we are, the more prone we are to find out what we're really weak in. Blinded by our own Presbyterian code, pride and self-righteousness, I think a case can be made that even we are experiencing our comeuppance. Too big for our britches. Jesus says that we are also like sheep. And when we start believing that we are not, that we are the authority and we make the rules and no one answers to me and I don't answer to anyone else, look out. 
Is it possible that God created us in God's image so that we can be both sheep-like in knowing that we need a shepherd God and shepherd-like in knowing that we have gifts of leadership to serve and help others? The thing that scares me most about where we are today is that this whole like individual self worth self power thing that I was talking about earlier has gotten sort of out of control with this rampant individualism, this unbridled capitalism that makes us believe that we are our own and only authority and that the only thing that matters is what I choose to let matter and I'm going to make my own decisions about everything and I'm going to define who I am right down to the next letter and I'm going to decide what I will be and I'm going to choose what values and virtues and morals I'm going to follow and I'm going to create my own life on my own. I'm going to create it just the way I want it. And you can see it on Facebook and Twitter. And then you can read about what the outcome is. The Bible calls it into question, but so does science. The increase in depression and anxiety and suicide is off the charts. And drugs and violence. We have lost ourselves into ourselves. Self-absorbed and self-centered, we are like lost sheep in the desert of despair. We're social creatures, folks. God created us to be in flocks. Not just tiny little clan flocks, flocks. Flocks of different kinds of sheep. And in order for us to thrive and flourish, we need to be in relationship with those other folk and also with the shepherd God who comes to us where we are and leads us, if we are willing, back home to green pastures and still waters. I've been listening to a book called, uh, you've already read it, I know. I didn't read it when it was so popular because, as I said, I'm a contrarian. And so I, cho I would choose to read it when I wanted to, called Boys in the Boat, you know, about the 1936 Olympic uh, rowing team that won the Olympics in Germany. And in it, it's about Joe Rant, who was uh, alienated, abandoned when his mother died at four, and then his father uh, left home, and then his brother had to take him to an aunt to live, and then he got scarlet fever when he went there, and he was in the attic for, for two weeks or something, and then his, his father remarries and comes back with a stepwife, and his stepwife finally wants Joe back out of the house, and so he gets abandoned. And at, at some moment in his life, Joe decides that I am my own person, that nobody can affect me, and I don't need to depend on anybody else ever. I am just going to take care of myself. Which leads to him joining the crew team at the University of Washington and being this erratic rower. They couldn't figure it out. Until this guy named George Pocock, this mystical, spiritual boatmaker from England, got to know him well enough to know that he was just scared to trust anybody. And in the book it says, what mattered more than how hard a man rode was how well everything he did in the boat harmonized with what the other fellows were doing. 
And a man couldn't harmonize with his crewmates unless he opened his heart to them. He had to care about everyone on his crew. He had to give himself up to the rowing, but he had to do even more. He had to give himself up to his crewmates too. If you don't like some fellow in the boat, Joe, you have to learn to like him, Pocock said. It has to matter to you whether he wins the race, not just whether you do. Pocock paused and looked up. Joe, when you really start trusting those other boys, you will feel a power at work within you that is far beyond anything you've ever imagined. Sometimes you will feel as if you have rowed right off the planet and are rowing among the stars. Can you imagine can you imagine a congregation that receives their next pastor willing to shepherd them as much as that pastor commits to shepherd you? Willing to care for them and pray for them and hold them tight when needed as much as you need them to do so in return? Can you imagine the strength of that, the body here of Christ together with pastor and shepherds all working in the same direction for the same common good and each single one of us with our own gifts reaching out to all the lost sheep in the world and around us even in Brunswick? Can you imagine the power of that? Jesus says, I have come so that you may have life abundantly. And he means that plurally, corporately. And this church stands on the brink of rowing in such a way together in harmony that you might see the heavens open and the mysterious clouds of light coming down out of the darkness and knowing then that we are in this thing together. And for that, you should look forward. In Christ's name, amen.